welcome to the May episode of the International Voices Podcast. I'm Mike Smith. I am the podcast engineer, and I'm hosting a special edition of this monthly podcast series today. In this episode, we are turning the tables and switching the microphones, and I'll be your host and moderator. And Udo Fluke will be the guest of International Voices for a change. To listen to previous episodes, please visit artsmissoula.org. Click on Arts Missoula Global, go to Radio and Podcasts, and select an episode. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you by Arts Missoula Global and the Trail 1033. So, Udo, it was exactly, uh, well, not exactly, but almost a year ago that we turned the tables, and this time it was the pub tables over at Bayern Brewing. As you are a German, and I'm no stranger to that taproom either, we, we did that as kind of a, uh, a fun way to talk about you. And I think those who know you probably know a whole uh, different, uh, a few different types of Udo fluke, right? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, you're the guy that if you call me up to go have a beer, I'm interested because I know a couple of things will be true. One is we're going to go have a proper pint. Right. And two is there's going to be a conversation. I'm going to learn something not only about your background, but also I'm going to learn something about a way of looking at life, a way of seeing the world that that you have brought to your own life, but also your your career uh, at Arts Missoula. And, you know, for those folks who aren't uh, as familiar with what Arts Missoula is and that you're a part of it. Sure. Let's let's enter through that. First of all, we've got Arts Missoula. Right. The name kind of says quite a bit, but it doesn't say all. Right. Um, so Arts Missoula is the designated arts and culture agency of the city, which means that we are organizing and uh, hosting arts and culture events. The big ones are... Speaking of your um, reference to Germany, German Fest um, every year in the fall, which is a celebration of our connection to our sister city, Neckargemünd, in Germany. And that connection has been there for 30 years, and a lot of people don't know that. We have two sister cities. Uh, the other one is Palmerston North in New Zealand, and that connection is 40 years old. So in Arts Missoula, um, I oversee the Arts Missoula Global program, which manages the sister city connections, those two that uh, Missoula has. It also has outreach arm into K through 12. Mm -hmm. um, I do professional uh, training, um, cultural awareness training for organizations, nonprofits, uh, you name it. And then it has a community arm. So it has four arms, basically. The fourth arm is a community arm that provides um, a free film series to the public and has since 2018. There are four films in spring and four films in the fall. And then um, the monthly podcast mm -hmm. is also part of that community programming and other events throughout the year. Well, how many students have you seen, do you think, or have seen you in school? How many, uh, how many kids have you reached? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. I mean, this last, uh, this, this year, the academic year, 2022-2023, we taught close to 600 seminars in Missoula in four different school districts. And the program just doubled this last year. So, yeah, thousands of students. It's it's tough to tough to say, but if I would sort of 
do an estimate, I'd say it's it's thousands. Which is one measure of success, and there would be others. How how do you measure success in a program like this? Have you had any other individual stories, I imagine, sure. about uh, about kids you've reached and, and maybe some kids uh, that you run into who are now young adults? And So here's an interesting um, thing, Mike. The program has – it infuses uh, the curriculum in three different levels, in third grade, in seventh grade, and then – Eleventh grade, so there is a a component that goes into elementary school, one into middle school, and one into high school. And when I started almost ten years ago offering this, um, we started very small in a couple of incubator schools uh, because we wanted to figure out would this be something that schools would be interested in, that teachers would be interested in, because it has to be supported. Something like this, you can't just expect students to like it, and you can't just expect teachers to say, oh, yeah, I give up valuable class time for you. So there was a trial period in which we piloted uh, the seminar series. And yeah, you're right. How do you measure success? Well, I think there's different ways of doing it. One is uh, from a pure German uh, (laughs) statistic-driven mind is to look at seminars offered in classrooms. And if over time that grows, you can say, well, the program is successful because there is uh, there is demand for it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. and so that's one way. But the other way, and I, um, when, whenever I had a choice to do quantitative or qualitative research, I always leaned, e- even though I'm German, I always leaned towards the qualitative one ah, because, yeah. because I don't think that numbers always tell the story. Mm-hmm. And and I sure hope that there is more to humans, right. to learning, to interaction, to socializing, to all of that than pure numbers. Than numbers. And so while it's nice for those that love, you know, quantitative approaches to say, mm-hmm. well, look, it, you know, we have a, a certain growth over time. I think the feedback from students, the feedback from teachers, from principals, from superintendents is really what is the measure that I prefer. And even teachers um, that have said, you know, parents yeah. contacted me and said, this is so cool that this is offered. We we lived in that country or we have a family connection to this country that was introduced in the seminars. And so really cool that you're opening up your classroom. Yeah. You're exactly right. And coming my, myself coming from a, a family of educators, the idea that feedback from your community right. and, and a I don't know if diverse community is the word in Montana out here, but definitely a community of uh, open-minded people, right. people right. that are prone to That's right. travel, yep. that are that are open to new ideas, yep. that the idea of just having a robust, that in some ways it doesn't necessarily matter exactly what you are bringing into the classroom. It's it's the idea that you're bringing in. If you bring in someone from another country, it doesn't matter exactly which specific country. That's right. It's just the fact that you're opening the minds That's right. to this idea of a cultural diversity right. and then some sort of uh, global in uh, global intelligence that, that kids will have. And maybe that is the idea also Absolutely. to say, hey, well, I learned about this. Right. 
what else is out there? It goes back to that old question, Mike, that I've been asked so many times as a foreign language speaker. So um, if you could choose a language, which one should you study? Mm. And I always say it makes no difference as long as you do it. Right. Because your mind um, will be able to do certain things another mind can do that has never yeah. learned another language. It makes very little difference if you if you study Mandarin because you are you are interested in Mandarin, then go ahead and do it. If you want to study French, go ahead and do that. Or if you're brave and you want to study German, uh, mm-hmm. go ahead and study German. In the end, it's that you give your mind, your brain the exercise. And it matters very little what language it is in the end. And so I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, it's bringing, bringing, some, bringing an, an outside perspective to a classroom. Mm-hmm. Bring, bring something in that is not part of the curriculum, but that connects really well to the curriculum. And in my case, it's, uh, it's social studies. And, and as you said, the, the outreach from what educators have said is that you are on the right track. Right. And, and if that wasn't enough um, sort of proof of that, then there are the students that – so because I offer this at elementary, middle, and high school, every so often, Mike, I go into a middle school and I'm, I'm getting ready to start my seminar and a student or two will look at me and, and sort of go, I know you from somewhere. <laughs> um, did you used to come to – um, my elementary school, when I was in elementary school, and then I usually ask, well, where did you go to elementary school? And then the the answer is typically, you remember the program that I offered in third grade. And the same thing happens at the high school level, right. where students say, did you used to come into my uh, middle school and uh, talk about uh, cultural awareness and global competence? And then I say, yep, that was me. So there is, even if they probably don't remember exactly what I talked about, but then I don't remember exactly what I learned in school either, mm-hmm. but it had an impact on me, and I I do recall and make connections, and I think that's what this is all about. Let's take it back to elementary school. You go into a classroom. How do you approach a, a young mind with the idea of, of culture and a, kind of a global mind? Um, what's the what's the first step there? Where do you start? Well, it's really simple. I start by um, putting up a world map uh, projected onto a screen, and I ask students first of all what they see, and um, they usually say, "I see America," and I say, "That's great. What else do you see?" And come to find out, that's it, because they yeah. they know they have you know at home or in their three years of schooling in elementary school at some point been exposed to a world map, and they can point to the United States. Then I ask questions such as, "Can you can you show me where Japan is? Can you show me where Germany is? Can you show me where Panama is? Can you show me where you know? It doesn't really matter." Right. And then. That usually causes confusion, and kids point to places where they think that these countries are, uh-huh. and they aren't there. Right. Um, or a student will just say, I don't know. I don't know where that place is. Mm-hmm. The magic is that, and this has worked every single time without failure, is that after 20 sessions, I put up the same world map, and I usually invite the principal uh, of the school that I'm in, I usually invite the superintendent to come and sit in the back 
And when I invite them, I, I just say, hey, I want you to see what the students learned. Um, please be my guest and sit in the back and then we'll, we'll, we'll chat later. And then the students are able to point out all these countries in different parts of the world. And they do that through a hook that I create, and that is a hat from that country. Mm. So I learned, I don't know about you, but I learn through um, something that's that's tangible, something yeah. that either right. I can look at, I can touch, I can feel a texture, whatever it may be. Yeah. Sort of show and tell, you know, you, here, yep. here's a, an object, pass it around, find out, you know, what makes that object interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I thought early on hats would be the way to do it. And so I have about 20, toad of 25 uh, different hats from around the world. And I, I quickly found when I designed the curriculum 10 years ago, I quickly found that a hat is so much more than a hat. It's, it's the material that's used. Uh-huh. Um, it's the resources that are available. Yeah. Uh, that points to uh, climate conditions. Is the hat made out of wool or is it made out of straw? Is the hat dark colored or light colored? Lighter colored hats are worn in warmer places because light colors deflect the heat. Darker colored hats are worn in colder places because dark colors absorb the heat. Right. So these very basic things that are so true and can be easily taken from a hat and applied somewhere else are how I how I get the kids interested in this. And then is it a working hat or is it a ceremonial hat? Oh. Oh, it is a working hat. So what do people in that country do? Is it an agricultural country? You know, those kind of questions. But the hat is the hook. Mm-hmm. And then I pass the hat around, and so the kids can feel the material. Oh, it's made out of felt. It's made out of cotton. It's made out of straw. It's made out of, you know, whatever hat-making material there is. And so slowly but surely, the kids develop a sense of place and space and realize that while we start in the United States with cowboy hat, um, <laughs> We go and leave the United States and basically go to Latin and South America, cross the Atlantic Ocean, go to Europe, then from Europe go to the African continent, from there to the Middle East, to Asia, and and we basically end in Australia. So it's like a, a journey around the world that... While you cannot cover all 196 countries, but you can do a pretty good analysis of continents, of countries, of places close to the equator, of places further away, and all of that. So that's how it works. Now, there's going to be some parents that are wondering why they're being taught, uh, why kids are being taught, what's the importance Do you ever run into parents or educators who are questioning the idea of global literacy or global competency and are a little more for a uh, sort of a a U.S. and American-focused education? Do you ever run into uh, any pushback in that sort of way? I have not, and I think it speaks to the mindset of people that – and it may be different in different places, but – um, I came to Missoula 30 years ago 
uh, born and raised in Germany, mm -hmm. and I came to attend uh, an American university like so many students do. And so I found the community very welcoming and open-minded, and that's why I stayed, because mm -hmm. I just found it to be a, a wonderful place to uh, to live. And I think that is still true, if not more so today, that people have that interest in uh, in the world, in others, and want to learn. And I don't know how many times um, in the last 30 years I've been in a grocery store and um, I'm exchanging the pleasantries uh, with the cashier as in, uh, did you find everything uh, you were looking for? <laughs> and then I go, oh, yeah, but I was also looking for this or whatever the conversation is. Right. And then somebody in line next to me would say, oh, um, you have an accent. May I ask where you're from? And, you know, you have these conversations of, oh, I'm from Germany and, oh, how did you come to Missoula? That kind of thing. I always have found people to be interested, open-minded, compassionate about the other. And so, as I said, while we start in the United States, we, we start our journey around the world. And it's not really to point out differences, first and foremost. It's actually the opposite. It's finding common ground mm -hmm. and finding similarities. Mm -hmm. And while many people might think that it's a it's a good strategy to to look at how we're different. Well, yeah, we're different. You and I are different. Everybody's different. Right. But is that really what matters all that much? Mm -hmm. Or is it what connects you and me? Right. What connects you and me? What do we need? And when you look around, there isn't a human on this planet would disagree that they're not needing the essential things of shelter, food, yeah. clean water, mm -hmm. um, education. There are these universal values that are in all of us as humans. And so I work off of that. And yeah. I think looking at the similarities, it creates a different approach. If you are looking at the differences, I think you're, you're subconsciously pushing away. Where yeah. if you're looking at yeah. similarities, you are you are embracing and you're opening up and you're saying, hey, you may have a different skin color, you may have different facial features, mm -hmm. you may wear different clothing, you may eat different food, whatever it is, right? But you are a human being just like me, and let's connect on that level. And so that's th that's the whole idea. So it's yeah. not really about about the you know, the foreign thing, it's about how do we all as humans connect? Mm -hmm. We all wear hats. <laughs> They're just all a little different. Yeah. And, um, and so that's my hook to the whole thing. And the idea that you're under the arts Missoula umbrella and culture, that is such a great entry into uh, another person's world. What type of music do you listen to? What does your art look like? How's you know, the food? Absolutely. You know, what sort of traditions do you have? How right. are they similar to some of my traditions? Exactly. It all makes, it all makes a lot of sense. And I think exactly. in some ways, um, kids are better at that. Yes. 
than a lot of adults. Than are. a lot of adults. That's right. And and kids see it for what it is. You know, they're looking at the hat and they're going, "Wow, that is super warm material." Mm-hmm. So this cannot have been designed for people that live close to a beach. Close yeah. to the equator, right? It must be either high up in elevation, or it's you know away from the equator, and uh, so it it allows the student to really sort of think about this. Where where am I in relation to the country that we're visiting right now? Aha, they are much closer to the equator, so it's hotter there. That influences what they can grow, mm-hmm. and that's why you know we can't grow oranges naturally in Greenland. Uh, or or lemons because right. it's just you know you put them in a greenhouse or artificially create an environment. But when you look at outside growing conditions around the world where people live, says a lot about what they can grow, which says a lot about what they eat, mm-hmm. which says a lot about what they wear. I mean, it's it's just all interconnected. Yeah. And so you're learning not individual things that are disconnected and are hovering around and the student might go, how did we get from here to here? It's actually much more organic. And you kind of go, ah, okay. So because of this, uh-huh. then that also connects to that. I put feedback that I get on on my uh, on my webpage in Arts Missoula, and folks should really go check that out. I looking at the photos here, the hats. Yes. I see you in action with the hats. That's right in the in the classroom. And there's a testimonial uh, webpage where I've put testimonials, and I just received three or four this this spring that I added on. So there's probably altogether I don't know fifty or sixty testimonials. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they're super diverse. They're from students. They're from uh, teachers. From principals, from community members, from individuals that somehow were at some point or are connected to this material Mm -hmm. and that basically say, hey, you know, this is, as far as social studies, really a nice way of, you know, learning about um, the other. And as you are learning about the other, the other becomes less scary. Mm -hmm. And so there is this automatic connection and understanding, aha, that's why people do that. Now I understand kind of a thing. And when you become aware of others, other cultures, other traditions and customs, then you can begin to understand. And when you understand another culture, then it's sort of there's a a natural flow to that. Yeah. uh, That almost, I would argue, makes it very difficult to to, to strongly dislike somebody uh, from a different culture. Yeah. Who are we sending out into the world with this type of education um, or this, these types of experiences? And I maybe more questions than answers in some way. Um, things, you know, being interested in that and also giving a framework of how to learn about other people. Right. And here and there, I, um, I have a student when I teach classes at the university, 400 and, and 600 level of business classes, which um, I, I do here and there. Uh, they're weekend classes, they're um, classes, they're very specialized. Um, I have a student or students that will say, 
Well, I'm a fourth generation Montanan, and I'm uh, I'm likely to take over my family's business. So I'm not going to travel much to other countries. I'm going to work, stay right here, and probably going to die here. Yeah. Um, how is this of interest to me, and how can this be of benefit? And I, I always love that kind of a question or inquiry because then I go, well, here's the thing. It's not a one-way thing. International can also come and find you. Right. I was and going you, to say and that. And you want to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 one thing to go out into the world because you want to be in the Peace Corps, you want to uh, work abroad, study abroad, whatever it is that one wants to do that brings one uh, beyond one's own borders. But if that's not your primary interest and you say, I'm I'm not that kind of a travel mm-hmm. person, right. then be assured that international will come and find you. Yep. And then you better be prepared. And that could be that you are, I mean, the most simplest uh, of situations would be that um, a culturally different person is hired uh, by the organization or company you work for. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you have to work with that individual. You have right. to be on a team. Right. And you have to communicate and collaborate and and perhaps to some degree negotiate with that person that's culturally different. And that makes it a very real situation that could happen to yeah. anybody. Well, and travel's gotten easier. Um, uh, to a state like Montana, when I was that's right. Uh, when I was in elementary school, it was a big deal that we went to Europe one summer. Right, and it it was an all you know it was you know so many flights even just to get to New York. Sure, and then sure over the pond. Right, and I, I, it was a bigger deal. And travels it can you know flights can still be expensive. Right, more people are traveling. Right, and more people are are going overseas and more people are coming here and especially a town like Missoula with a university, Absolutely. liberal arts university, we're going to have a lot of students here. Absolutely. And like you say, you never know who or where you are going. And, you know, you talk about maybe taking over the family farm or something. Well, there are well-known farmers here that have done exchanges or gone over and helped or vice versa. Right. Uh, somebody else, a, a, a farmer over, um, Make, you know, growing wheat Absolutely. or cattle or something like that. There, they, uh, there's an exchange for you. Yeah, and I think this would apply to anything, uh, Mike, where an outside perspective mm-hmm. from a different culture uh, just brings you a different lens to look through. Mm-hmm. It brings you uh, the opportunity to have a different approach to something. Mm-hmm. Even if in the end you come back to your own approach being right. the preferred one, which I think is perfectly fine, but you had the exposure. Uh-huh. And what if that other way may turn out to be a better way of doing something? Right. That's why I right. think international teams or intercultural teams uh-huh. are so rewarding because you naturally look at something the way you've always looked at it because yeah. that's your that's your way of doing things that's what you're comfortable with and that's what you know works and brings you success or the organization success whatever it may be so why change that right mm-hmm. it's the old idea of why why change a thing that's working right but when you are thrown into a situation because of the new hire that now sits at the table 
at a staff meeting or, you know, whatever it is. And that person is asked, so how do you, how do, you do that? How, how has your culture um, tackled this issue? Mm -hmm. And that yeah. person shares that and you go, huh, I would have never thought of that. That's interesting. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. Right, right. Well, and you think Missoula's so small until you find out. I've got a friend who's working for a Korean company, and he lives here in Missoula. He's off to, he flies off to Seoul a couple of times a year. The other side is you just you go out and you get a job in Seattle, and boom, there you are. Exactly. Surrounded by many other cultures. Exactly. I mean, the fact that we are geographically a little tucked away in the Rocky Mountains right. is, a, is a wonderful thing. But it, you know, as I said, international will come to you. Yeah. You don't have to actually go out and look for international anything. It will come to you. And with some of the programming, to go back to um, Arts Missoula's programming, if that is uh, the international uh, film series, if that is... Yeah. German Fest, mm -hmm. that is a perfect example of international coming to your community. Right. And you don't have to go out mm -hmm. and travel somewhere to, to get it. Uh, you can immerse yourself right here. Yeah. You've had, you did a whole series on food, which folks can go back and listen to the, right. the podcasts that were just on food. Yes. You know, we even had a German move over here decades ago to start at Byron Brewing. So like you say, it'll come and find you. And good thing <laughs> that he did. Because, Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, he enriched a field that was fairly narrow when yeah. you think about yeah. it. And now... I mean, Missoula is a perfect example. Look at all those uh, microbreweries yeah. that are not uh, producing, you know, beer by the millions of gallons and are shipping it uh, everywhere in the country. But um, you go to Portland and you will have different beer brands there than you have in Montana. Right. Uh, you will uh, in Missoula. You go to uh, to uh, Washington or California. I mean, it's the diversity that is a good example just yeah. for that. And what was so great about that is in some ways it was one of our great cultural um, uh, ambassadors was was Jurgen Noller because all the brewers that I that I know who started up breweries after him said that Jurgen was always excited about what they were doing. Right. When they asked him for his advice, he gave it. Right. But he didn't tell them what to do. Right. Um, and that he was really an ambassador yes. for his style of brewing and his education level. Absolutely. He wanted everybody to succeed. And it turned out that when everybody succeeded, everybody did better. That's exactly right. And those of us who uh, enjoy a beer, we all drink a little better. Thanks to Jurgen and thanks to some of those uh, cultural <laughs> That's right. uh, sharings and And I would efforts. absolutely agree with that. Um, we collaborate, Arts Missoula collaborates with Bayern Brewing, with, with Jurgen and his staff for German Fest. Yeah. Otherwise, we couldn't do German Fest. And yeah. He is a wonderfully generous person that, uh, like you just said, that tries to, to help in any way he can. Yeah. And uh, he, I think it makes him happy when an event goes well, when everybody is happy at the event, when they had a chance to um, experience something new. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's, 
I think it's that kind of an attitude uh, towards life and towards um, yeah. I can you know I can sit in my basement and don't and don't interact with anybody and uh, turn the light off and just be by myself. Mm-hmm. But um, there is so much out there. There is such great diversity. And the word diversity is so, it's like a piece of rubber. I mean, you can stretch that to mean pretty much anything in any kind of a situation. We could we could refer to di- diversity of beer, as mm-hmm. we just did. We could refer to the diversity of food, the diversity of clothing, the diversity of attitude, the diversity of, I mean, you name it. It's all about sort of seeing what else is out there that is, you know, outside of your own cultural uh, circle. Mm -hmm. And it could really be anything. And I love it when people make this their own, when they say, you know, I was interested in learning another language. And that's why I went to adult learning and I, um, you know, took classes in whatever. Um, I was interested in tasting different spices. And so I got a cookbook about Mediterranean cooking. Right. And now I'm, you know, experimenting with uh, uh, with different uh, spices and different flavors and different this and different that. It means something different to everybody. I mean, there's not one one kind of diversity. Right. But I think it's the attitude towards it and the open-mindedness right. and the willingness to uh, to experiment. Um, and even, again, even if in the end you come back to your own way, your own style, your own taste, your own whatever it is, but you opened your mind and you came full circle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's all about. I'm not promoting that anybody gives up anything. What I'm promoting is that everybody takes a chance to add something to their own. It's not about being overrun by another culture. It's not about giving up something. It's not a trade-off. It's adding to it. And I, I'm, I'm looking at this in the most basic sense of having a toolbox. I can buy the smallest toolbox in a store that has a pair of pliers, a hammer, and a couple of screwdrivers. And sure, I'll, I can fix little things with that. That'll be enough. But if I make it my goal to buy a tool every month that will fit into that toolbox, and I think carefully about what that tool should be, pretty soon I will be able to fix things where I previously needed professional help because I just didn't even have the tool. Now I can actually, well, I don't know, become more self-sufficient or whatever it may be, but it's the idea of this toolbox. And all your life until you die, I believe we're all walking around with a toolbox. And in some cases, the toolbox still just has a pair of pliers and a screwdriver and a hammer. But in some cases, the toolbox is like one of these things that you see in repair shops where Mm -hmm. it's a huge steel thing with, you know, 20 different drawers and doors and you pull it out and you have everything neatly organized. That's, to me, a wonderful toolbox. And so I, I look at that as in, yeah, you know, that... There's no negative side effect 
to having a big toolbox. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever said, "Oh, I have too many tools." <laughs> right. I'm, I, you know, I, I, I can now fix more things than I did before. Never have I heard that. And so that's why I'm thinking, whatever you make out of this diversity thing, this cultural awareness thing, nobody has ever come back and said, you know, I, um, I really dislike that I know the world a little better, or I really, right. yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I've never heard that. And so that there is proof that if you do it, most likely you'll be somehow enriched by it. So, Udo, how does your program with the schools connect to the curriculum that is already established and set for uh, by academia, the teachers, the uh, administration? How do you how do they sew this into the fabric of the education? That's an excellent question, Mike. And and yes, it um, it connects really well to. Uh, the standing curriculum. And I oftentimes have teachers tell me, oh, this is so exciting. We are learning about the Panama uh, Jack this week. Um, as, you're, as you will talk about Panama, um, last week we read about President Roosevelt traveling uh, to Panama in 1910 um, to encourage uh, the completion of the Panama Canal. Um, and so the students will connect this to their reading. Oh, I'm so excited when this actually happens that other um, outside perspectives complement or support a reading that we have done, a project that we worked on, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that if if it is possible, and that's why the program actually requires quite a bit of planning, of talking to the teachers. So it's not something that you are throwing into the curriculum, like you're opening a classroom door and you're throwing something in and right. then you're leaving and everybody goes, wow, uh, how does that how does that connect to anything? I can hear it now. Okay, kids, now get out your math book. That's right. Yeah. We're done, we're done right. with this guy. Get out your get math him. books. I think it's the difference in some ways what I'm hearing and then seeing and reading on your page. It's the difference between um, with isn't this interesting, which is more of a little right. sideshow. Right. Then it is. Strategic, no, this is the strategic a, lesson, yes. a strategic plan. That is correct. That is, that again, is sewn into the fabric of an already good school system. It, absolutely. It is. That's exactly right. It is connecting, it is complementing, it is supporting, it is um, further enhancing. It is all of those things that you actually hope happen all the time when a subject or a topic is discussed that it doesn't end with the ringing of the bell. Right. It doesn't end with the session being over but that the material, the way it was presented, sparked a certain curiosity that I hear from parents that tell me in an email, um, oh, our daughter came home today or our son came home today, and um, at the dinner we learned so much about this country uh, that you were talking about today through the hat that you were sharing 
we had no idea this was even, I mean, the fact that this spilled over into our home life and provided for a good dinner conversation. Thank you for for doing this or thank you yeah. for offering these seminars. So it's it's kind of, again, going back to the measure. How do you measure that? Well, when I get an email like that, I kind of go, well, I'm super happy to read that because yeah. that's what I hope is that it's not ending um, when I leave the classroom. But long time ago, there was a group of teachers in Missoula that I was working with. And those teachers actually said, Udo, we need to have something that is like a workbook that when you're done, we can actually go with the kids and we can hit on the main points, talk about weather, talk about colors in the hats, talk about, you know, sort of specific things that you mentioned in the session. And so there is this this really uh, cool workbook that now all of the schools that are participating in the program have. Yeah. And they give out to their kids and it's easy to because you know teachers created it so it's like it's it's easy to copy and to just make as many as you need there's no copyright things the maps are um you know in a public domain uh, yeah. a map of india or a map of right. asia or whatever so it's really easy to duplicate that um and to have the kids go back and color in that specific country that we yeah, were visiting right. on the African continent or in Asia. That's how they taught geography when, yeah. when I was in school. You got a, um, in this, it was a, it was a ditto, which anybody listening, yeah. the difference between a copy and a ditto, the right. ditto was what the dark blue ink. Yep. And we would go and we would fill in everything from the Marianas Trench yep. to where the Mississippi River yep. runs and everything in between. I'm getting the idea that in some ways, what you're doing is you are just um, wetting the appetite, not just, but you're wetting the appetite in that a child takes it home to their family. That's right. And if it's similar to my family and everybody's got the web, when I was growing up, it would be you had to go grab the World Book Encyclopedia if you had a question. Right. And then you would have we'd have the book out at the table and we would be reading <laughs> something right. from the world book. Yeah. But now everybody can yeah. go yeah. either online to our award-winning library. Right. And in some ways, you're wetting the appetites of just wanting to learn more. That, that's exactly right. And I think that's what, what is needed is to create a spark. And then, and then hopefully the student develops an interest and takes this on and goes with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, you know, a, a, a teacher to some degree is, is that, is the person that sparks an interest. Yeah. And But the teacher isn't with you all the time. The teacher right. isn't right. with you in the afternoon, evening. The teacher isn't with you on the weekend. And so the impact of the teacher in the classroom is limited to the classroom. But if you can actually... You know, and I again, I use this approach through world geography because I'm thinking that world geography is something so basic that and we live in on a planet in a world surrounded by other by other bodies of water and yeah. other land masses. Yeah. So it's not anything, you know, controversial. It's not anything that you could say, oh yeah, that's not that's not true, or this is not the case. 
We're talking about plain and simple facts. We are living on a planet together with other people that are living in different parts of the planet with different climate, with different weather conditions, yep. with different resources, with different languages. I mean, you name it. But it's all factual. It's not, right. you know, and so right. it's, like the, it's, it's like anything else. You use a very solid foundation to put it on. And if that student later on, because of an interest that was, was sparked, reads geography books mm-hmm. or in, uh, in college does a study abroad experience yeah. or whatever, or enrolls into language, a language class. And if that can be traced back to some degree to this early exposure, right? then it actually did so much more than one could have ever hoped. But even if it's just a basic thing, even if it is the person that says, I will never travel anywhere, I have no interest in going somewhere else, I'm eating the food that I'm familiar with, that I grow perhaps even, and I'm, I'm happy in my 20-mile or 50-mile radius where I am. Even for that people, I think this has benefits. Uh-huh. Because we said earlier, international will come and, and, find you. and find you. So that's really, I think, where this all comes together and connects. Everybody is going to take this and make this their own to as little or as much as they want. Nobody should be forced to do anything. Nobody should believe that this is the only way to, you know, to have a future. I think this is all way too complex. Mm -hmm. It's at the basic level. Again, as we said earlier, I, we could ask any physician and any counselor in the world, if they ever had a case of somebody suffering from too much open-mindedness <laughs> right. Or, right. or too much knowledge, yeah, I don't think, and this is the only thing we can probably say with certainty, that, that this has ever happened and hopefully will never happen. Right. Because then... I think this this is the measurement of how do you know it's working and how do you know that this is of benefit to um a student well yeah you know there is no there's no known negative side effect all the side effects are pleasant so you know take any dosage you want <laughs> and and enjoy This has been the May edition of the International Voices Podcast with Udo Fluke. All International Voices Podcast episodes are sponsored by Orr McDonald Law and the Trail 1033. Those of you who have listened to previous recordings of International Voices know that Udo always closes with a German farewell. Dankeschön, first Suhern. 